Welcome to AZ TechCast, sponsored by the Arizona Technology Council, with your hosts, Steve Zylstra and Karen Nowitz. AZ TechCast is dedicated to covering innovation and technology in Arizona and beyond. Broadcasted monthly, AZ TechCast invites leading experts to have real conversations about what is happening in the tech sector across the state of Arizona. From regional news to innovative startups, companies, and emerging technologies, AZ TechCast covers the critical issues and economic trends propelling the state's growing tech ecosystem. Made in Arizona. It's a phrase that's becoming more familiar as the state's manufacturing sector continues to grow and add new jobs. Between the development of new cost-saving technologies, the automation of manufacturing processes, and a business-friendly climate. Arizona's manufacturing landscape is quickly being recognized on a national stage. Welcome to Phoenix Business Radio X. I'm your host, Karen Nowicki, and I'd like to welcome you to AZ TechCast, sponsored by Arizona Technology Council. The accomplished manufacturing leaders that are joining us today are here to discuss the rapid evolution and development of Arizona's manufacturing sector, the challenges it faces, the predictions for the future. We have a lot of interesting content to cover, so we're going to dive in. But before we do, I want to introduce you to our featured guest. We have Mike Hoosman, EVP and Chief Operating Officer at Benchmark. Welcome, Mike. Thank you, Karen. Great to have you. And Brett Dooley, Sales Engineer at InPosition Technologies. Welcome, sir. Thank you. Absolutely. And Mike McCormick, President and CEO of CP North America. Hello to you, Mike. Thank you for having me. All right. Two Mikes. So we'll we'll figure out what the cadence is for that, right? (laughs) So let's start with having each of you introduce yourself. And uh, we're all on Zoom and we can see each other. And uh, for our listening audience, where it's just an audio experience, sometimes when we're in these situations and we're not sitting right next to each other, we might talk over each other. That's okay. We'll just find our cadence with that. So I want to first start by asking each of you to introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about the work you do, and then what are some of the specific customer industries and technologies that you work with? As Karen said, I'm Mike McCormack. I'm the president and CEO of uh, CP, Tor- uh, CP North America. Uh, we are a design and manufacturer of uh, rugged uh, computer hardware and also vertically integrated solutions for unmanned aerial vehicles. Our primary markets are defense, which is, makes up about 75% of our market, but we're also heavily invested in the industrial and civil markets. So computer, what I say is uh, computer automation, robotics, biosciences, et cetera. And your background, how long, did you say how long you've been with them? Yeah, I've been with the company seven years. I'm an Air Force veteran. Uh, I've worked globally, just moved the company to Arizona back in April of this year um, and lived extensively overseas for the last 28 years as well. Excellent. I look forward to hearing a little bit more about that background. And and of course, we're going to talk about why Arizona, right? That's part of our, our purpose in being here today. All right, Mike, you get to go next. I should have gone first because now I have I don't have a pedigree <laughs> like Mike does. So make it up, Mike. Make it up. Yeah, yeah. Go on, Mike. <laughs> I'll embellish a little bit. How's that? Now again, uh, Mike Boozman, uh, as you said, Karen, EVP uh, COO here at Benchmark. Uh, our actually the building behind me on screen that is our headquarters uh, here in Tempe. Similar to Mike, we've had a journey. We moved our headquarters here uh, about four years ago. Uh, the company is actually over forty years old but we moved here from uh, Texas uh, four years ago. Uh, I've been at Benchmark, or actually about the time we moved to headquarters, so for four years. And Benchmark actually designs, 
manufacturers and then kind of manages the supply chain uh, for, for about 170 different customers that we design and build product for. So we engage across the entire life cycle. And uh, we have operations in uh, um, about seven different countries, 20 manufacturing sites around the world. And the sectors that we support are kind of honed in on the higher technology areas, medical or healthcare life sciences, uh, aerospace defense. We do a lot of uh, advanced computing, a lot of next generation telecommunications, and a lot of, uh, a lot of semiconductor capital equipment uh, are our customers that we engage with. Excellent. Who are you kidding? That was a pretty great uh, introduction. <laughs> Brett, now you get to go. Okay. Well, uh, thank you very much. I'm uh, Brett Dooley. I'm a technical sales engineer at InPosition Te- Technologies. Uh, our core business at IP Tech is, is sort of twofold. Uh, first thing we is we work with equipment manufacturers that need any kind of precision motion inside their products. So you could think of printers, scanners, some sort of laboratory analysis instrumentation. Basically, anything that moves things around inside, that's not quite as relevant to what we're talking about today. The other part of our core business it is what's related. Uh, we work with manufacturers to improve quality, efficiency, lower manufacturing costs, things like that through the use of factory automation. Uh, that could be robot arms, autonomous mobile robots. It could be Internet of Things-enabled automation equipment, uh, basically anything in the automation world. Um, and I guess just a little bit about my background uh, like Mike, I was uh, in the military for a while. I spent 10 years in the Navy on submarines as an electronics tech and then uh, went into the engineering field as a mechanical guy. So I uh, have a little, my fingers in a little bit of both. So automation was great. Fit. I ended up coming a little bit late to the party. Daryl, our producer, was getting you all kind of set up and mic'd up. Do the three of you know each other and you've worked together before? Is this your first occasion to come together? I apologize for not knowing that. That's okay. I I'd say we're getting uh, become acquainted. Mike and I actually started some conversations about three weeks ago, which is probably the first time we'd really chatted. So excellent. Yeah, yeah. We have. We I'd say we all have a lot in common, but don't know each other that well. Except me and Mike have got to know each other over the last few weeks. Yeah. And we love that. I know Bianca, who's listening and helps coordinate these shows for Steve and myself, is likely smiling ear to ear because that's part of why we do this, right? We don't, not only do we want our listening audience to get to know your businesses and how you're representing the industry in Arizona and your leadership, we also want to facilitate those opportunities for you all to get to know each other and, and find those, the synergy, right, where that fits. So thank you again for being here. Why Arizona? I think when Mike was introducing himself, that, that kind of that question was sparked, given that you guys are the, the newest uh, of the crew to be here in Arizona. But I'd love to hear from each of you. Why did you choose to have a presence in Arizona? And then what are some of the biggest factors that have contributed to Arizona's rise in manufacturing over the last 10 years? Well, I'm more than happy to start. When we, uh, we were based in San Diego, California, and we kind of run out of space uh, because we're building aircraft, we're building larger systems, and we had to find some more space. So the first consideration is, do we want to actually stay in California? I think enough people know uh, the politics and the economics of uh, why it was advantageous for us to leave the state. So we looked actually at five states. We looked at Arizona, Texas, Alabama, and everybody said, why Alabama? Well, it has a huge defense industry in Huntsville. That was one primary reason. Then we also looked at Utah and Nevada. And, And really what made us choose Arizona was First of all, supply chain, uh, a very large semiconductor industry here, very high tech, a lot of good universities where we could recruit from, Arizona State, Embry-Riddle, because we're based in Prescott, Arizona, where Embry-Riddle is. 
and also University of Arizona and NAU. So having that, you know, technology base from the university levels and then the supply chain, uh, you know, Taiwan Semiconductor's moving here. We got Intel here. Having that was a, in, in a large defense industry, you know, from the Lockheed Martins, the Raytheons, having Yuma Proving Grounds here was instrumental in why we chose Arizona. And, and the other thing, Arizona, the state of Arizona just made it easy uh, from the governor's office all the way down to the Arizona Commerce Authority just made the choice of choosing Arizona a, a simple uh, decision. So that was really the re- driving factors of why we chose Arizona and why we see the growth, our growth here as being fundamental. Excellent. And Mike, you yourself were in San Diego at the time then? Yeah, I sure was. So I've been with the company seven years, uh, you know, helped grow the company, took it to acquisition, you know, we're Israeli owned. That's another significant factor for us. You know, there's a good technology alliance between, you know, the Arizona Commerce Authority has uh, offices in Tel Aviv. Our ultimate parent company is Aeronautics of Israel. So having that relationship from a economic and international economic uh, position was uh, was very important for us in that decision decision making process. Good to know. Yeah, are you missing the water? Are you missing? No, no, no. I have to admit, I'm a native of Arizona, oh. so it was not a difficult decision to come back here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and and hey, close enough to to go and and dip your toe in the water and then come back. <laughs> you bet. That's yeah. what lakes are for. First, right. Oh, and my son and I just bought paddle boards. Uh, I have a 14 year old left at home with me. My other two are grown and gone, and. I need to get them away from the face or the screen time, <laughs> you know, as important yeah. as it is, it also can become a heavy addiction, especially for kiddos that age. So I'm like, what can we do together that mom would still be kind of cool and uh, something that he can do in a couple of years with his friends. So we just got paddle boards and we've been going out to Butcher Jones uh, Beach uh. at Sora Lake uh, several weekends and, and even bought shorty wetsuits so that we can, you know, go a little bit longer as the weather gets a little bit cooler. So, Mike, you th- uh, thanks again for that introduction. So how about either of you, uh, Mike and Brett as well, uh, tell us a little bit about Arizona, why you're here, and then what you think are some of the biggest factors contributing to the rise uh, the past decade here in Arizona. Brett, you want to go? Sure. I appreciate that. You know, and I do want to say I was just paddleboarding with my kids last week, so I think that's a great activity. Love it. <laughs> Time down a path up your lake, so that, that's that is that is a good good way to go. Um, yeah. So my company was always looking for high precision. That's that's what my company was founded on. We've been here for twenty years. Uh, we were in Arizona because we felt like that's where people are doing high tech, high precision things. We're not we're not manufacturing incredibly high volumes of low precision products. Uh, Arizona is, is like Mike mentioned, it's semiconductors, uh, it's defense, optics, things like that. Uh, down in Tucson, you know, there's, there's a huge optics cluster and that is all very high precision things. And that is what we specialize in and that's what we train our personnel to be good at. Uh, so it made sense for us to be here. And I think to answer your question about why people are coming here, it's because now there is a base of that kind of skill in the area. And so when new companies arrive, there's people here that can help them kickstart their manufacturing with some knowledge already. And it's a great way to uh, just just get a jump on everything without having to train everyone from scratch. And 20 years ago, did you have the foresight then to say like this, we're planting ourselves here and I can see it 
<laughs> you know, can I see the vision years from now? Or was it uh, scrambling a little bit at first? And was there ever an opportunity where you thought maybe Arizona isn't the place to be? I'm just curious about some of the, the decisions along the way to stay rooted here. Well, our company is spread out over many states now. So I, I can't claim that uh, we are solely focused on Arizona, but we started here and we're slowly expanding across the southwest of the United States, uh, California, Utah, Colorado, New Mexico. But there's always been a vision that this is the right place to be. And Arizona is still our uh, number one area uh, because we do focus here and our, our headquarters is here. Uh, I don't think there's ever really been any desire to move somewhere else. But yeah, I, I think this is home for a lot of people for, in our company. The, the more conversations that Steve and I have with folks like you who are representing the tech industry here in Arizona and of course and beyond, right? The more we hear people aligning themselves with the universities, with the smaller business owners, with other countries and what they're doing. I mean, it is, we really are becoming that space cons and, and consistently staying there as it relates to technology and, of course, in this conversation today around advanced manufacturing. I think that it says a lot about our leadership. And we've often talked about how impressive and how important the relationship between Arizona, Arizona Tech Council is and Arizona Commerce Authority. I mentioned the universities. A few of you have mentioned our, our you know, our legislature. We really are blessed to have uh, this great state of ours. And I'm, I'm thrilled that you all are, are representing it in such a powerful way. Mike, let's hear yeah. from you as well. Well, you're going to hear some pretty common themes, uh, <laughs> but I think, I think it's a, it's a pretty clear story. But as I mentioned, we moved our headquarters. You know, we made a conscious choice to leave Texas about four years ago. Our reason was a little different than Mike's was, you know, talking about space. Uh, you know, we were in a part of Texas, great part of Texas, but it was, it was oil and gas space. And our customers are much more over in what I would call the higher tech industry. Very similar to what Brett said, you know, high complexity, high precision, um, you know, not necessarily ultra high volume. And, you know, a lot of aerospace defense, a lot of medical. So, you know, we went and we looked at multiple states and, you know, we, we, we made a decision. I won't say settled. We made a real clear choice to come over here. And at the time we did it, there were three or four primary reasons. And you've heard a couple of them. We needed access to, you know, a talent pool of, you know, highly skilled, highly technical uh, people. It's a great area for that. Uh, we wanted to supplement that with a lot of, you know, young, bright thinkers and, you know, coming out of ASU, coming out of GCU. You know, the fact that uh, Fulton School of Engineering has got 20 plus thousand engineering students in it and our and our headquarters is two and a half miles from from campus. You know, it was it was a strategic choice to be by a university like that. You know, so that was clearly one. Uh, the second thing is, you know, our leadership team, we attract people from a lot of different parts of the country. And we wanted a location that we could kind of look at people and say, look, we're at a place, it's a great place to live. Quality of life's great. You know, all the things that we know living here. You know, the weather, paddleboarding. Um, I'm a Midwest guy. I moved here nine years ago. And a shorty wetsuit doesn't cut it there for about six months <laughs> no. out of the year. You just don't do it, you know. So it was, part of it was the quality of life, you know, and cost of living and all those things. And then, you know, the third thing is, you know, we say it's a business-friendly environment. You know, Governor Ducey, you know, when we came here four years ago, was doing an awesome job, you know, lining things up, whether that's tax incentives, you know, whether it's the access to the chamber and so on. You know, and all those elements kind of converged for us. And, and the fourth thing, and it wasn't necessarily as big of a deal, but a really nice thing, we're proximate now to a lot of our customers. The aerospace and defense customers we work with, 
you know, the growth, excuse me, in semi-cap and semiconductor here um, has probably proven to be a pleasant surprise for us because that's one of the big sectors that we service. So, you know, all those elements kind of played into how we landed here in Arizona. Fantastic. The next question I have for each of you are, what are some of the newest technology manufacturers and how are they utilizing uh, to improve efficiency and reduce costs? I don't think I said that quite correctly. Let me try that again. What are some of the newest technology manufacturers uh, and how are they utilizing it to improve efficiency and reduce costs? Yeah, I mean, I'll jump in if you guys want to maybe first swing at this one and, and I'll probably go pretty wide range here. At our core of manufacturing, we do two primary things. We do a lot of electronics manufacturing, and, and there's a huge amount of technology going on there, you know, kind of from the core machines that we've used. But what's really intriguing is kind of the whole the whole Internet of Things connection and the factory of the future, you know, and, and Brett's probably really well positioned to talk about a lot of that, you know, but we're taking a lot of very traditional pieces of equipment, connecting them better. You know, I won't call it a lights-out factory. But, but, you know, starting to automate things that historically required a lot of manual intervention. And we're doing a lot more work, uh, work over with uh, robotics and, uh, you know, trying to take not just the labor element, but the precision, the repetitive task and the quality and build those things into our process. The other part of our manufacturing um, is not electronics and it's precision machining grinding. And we do a significant amount of work for uh, the semi-cap industry that's on ultra, ultra precise machining and grinding. And, you know, that's, it's easy to think about that. Yeah, you take a big piece of metal, you grind it down into something that's a smaller piece of metal. Uh, But what we're finding there is the advances in technology are, you know, five axis machining systems that we used to have to go to six different operations to do something. And now we can do it in one pass through a machine. So it sounds kind of mundane, but the convergence of technology and automation and precision into some of this equipment is really enabling us to leapfrog almost a whole generation in technology. I'll jump in here. And, and what Mike brought up there uh, is, is right in line with what we like to talk about. Uh, a lot of people think of how to improve technology in their factory toward a lights-out type manufacturing role. And that's already been done. And if it can be done, a lot of people have already done that. So that's not where the advancements are. Most of the places we're seeing the most growth are those types of jobs where it wasn't possible to get the people out of the mix. You still need your personnel there. So even though we're going to automate components of the system, there's going to be a person standing right next to it, still doing the things that we require people to do. For an example, you know, a lot of tasks are very repetitive and very boring, to be honest with you. And people tend to kind of make mistakes and not enjoy that work very much. And that person could be so much more productive if a automation cell or a robot is standing right next to them and handling the very boring, repetitive items that are on the list. And they are standing right there still doing things that people are very good at, quality assurance, making sure something looks correct, uh, doing complex assembly tasks that use, you know, actually use some brain power. And the key to the new technology is the fact that we are using hand-in-hand automation with the robot and the person. Uh, so that's exactly what Mike was talking about. And a lot of the Internet of Things integration, a lot of the uh, advancements in using artificial intelligence are what is allowing that to happen. Uh, we can't always bring in a 100-man engineering team to automate something if it's a very small task that doesn't have a whole lot of uh, immediate return on investment. So we need things that someone that is standing there on the floor can automate. So they need to be able to use their experience and set up an automation cell 
what we would consider to be an automation cell without bringing that team of engineers on. And that's where the advancements are happening. And we're using uh, this new intelligent robotics to do that. And Karen, I'll, I'll approach it from a different uh, perspective. So we're a supplier to a lot of these industries. We build very specialized computers that are FCC qualified uh, for robotics, uh, where you can't use your standard uh, uh, type of computer system. And in those, we're seeing an enormous growth in factory robotics, uh, robots used for replenishment, not just, let's say, large computer automation of vehicles, et cetera, but also just the, like uh, Brett said, the monotonous tasks. So these are robots running around factory floors, replenishing uh, assembly workers or assembly robots uh, on the factory floor. But at the same time, it gets into things that you know a lot of people don't even think about. We're supplying computers that are used in the logging industry to maximize the amount of wood that's gained out of any single log. So this type of automation goes from what pe- people would think is a very manual labor process of log cutting to robot, robots running around the factory floor, replenishing the manufacturing supplies, gaining efficiencies so that you don't have the, the, the line go down so somebody can go get replenishment materials to continue, continue the manufacturing process. So a lot of this goes into you know um, uh, where Arizona is going as far as increasing the amount of uh, automation and how companies like us and you know Brett and Mike's companies can in, in increasing those companies' efficiencies. Hey, Mike, if you don't mind, if, oh. I was going to circle back because Brett said something that's really, well, I like this conversation a lot. Brett, you said it. Things that could be really automated, like a lights-out factory. You know, you think about, you already see the videos like of the you know, Ford Motor Company and the assembly line. That work, a lot of that's been done. I think the opportunity is now these cobots, you know, where they take over a smaller task and these kind of, when we think about pockets of automation, Versus we're going to automate the entire factory. And I think mm-hmm. especially in the high technology, kind of lower medium volume space, those opportunities, I think, are pervasive. There's all kinds of opportunities for that. Most definitely. Yeah, definitely agree with you. And if, and if I could just piggyback, because uh, Mike McCormick, uh, you, uh, you brought up a very interesting thing, which is the new mobile robotics world. And that is really where we're seeing the most explosive growth. Uh, mm-hmm. Arizona, back to why, why everybody's in Arizona, I don't know if you guys have looked around at most of the buildings in Arizona, but the, they're massive and the flooring is immaculate and it yep. makes these mobile robot applications just go flawlessly because the buildings are huge and spacious and well-suited to doing things like that. And the safety gained from having a very safe mobile robot compared to a forklift with a human driver that can make mistakes, uh, yep. it's, it's a pretty big pretty big safety gain as well. And uh, other, sorry, other Mike, <laughs> when you brought up the cobots, that's exactly what I'm talking about. Something that can be placed next to a, an existing work cell and set up and, and have it running within a day. Uh, it's, it's, it really is that easy in a lot of cases. And so that's, that's really where we're seeing the most benefit. And I'm going to piggyback a little more because I like you mentioned the safety element because that's the other thing. You know, people a lot of times go, oh, robots, that's just taking away jobs. A lot of what we're talking about, it's not. You know, it's supplementing a job. It's taking a repetitive task. You know, it's taking out repetitive motion injuries. And like, as you said, Brett, big form factor forklifts driving around, you know, there's an inherent safety factor. So I think the safety element, we probably people don't tend to think about as much. And I think that's, a, it's a big part of why I think automation continues. 
All right. Well, we're going to continue this rich conversation in just a couple of moments, but we want to make sure our listeners are aware that this program is possible by uh, a couple of sponsors. We have Arizona Commerce Authority, who's AZ TechCast 2021 Innovation Sponsor, and we're going to hear from them right now. Our streamlined pro-business approach helps you achieve more by putting less between you and future success. Less red tape lower taxes, less distance separating you from the tech leaders of tomorrow. This innovative ecosystem will supply your business with tools and resources to compete in the 21st century and beyond. But your future is more than just business success. In Arizona, the lifestyle you want is at your fingertips. Explore cities known for their Southwest heritage and modern vision. Enjoy beautiful scenery and endless outdoor activities on land, water, or snow. And if you're looking for a little friendly competition, we've got plenty of teams to choose from. With constant sunshine, vibrant culture, and natural wonder, Arizona provides a style of living that's entirely unique. People from all over the world call our state home. From student leaders who fill the classrooms of our top-ranked universities to a skilled and abundant workforce that's ready for what's next. To the neighbors, friends, and peers we interact with daily, Arizonans are united by a pioneering spirit that moves us forward. So as you look to the future, know that it's filled with the perfect balance of innovation and high-quality living that makes life better here. All right. Thank you, Arizona Commerce Authority, for helping us with this AZ TechCast program each month right here at Business Radio X. We're grateful for your support. Let's jump back into the conversation with the next question, which is how can manufacturing automation help Arizona businesses compete with foreign sources? I don't mind popping up on this one because one of the key factors that we're trying to do as a company is uh, onshoring. You know, everybody during the 90s and the 2000s started about offshoring, taking technology and uh, to the lowest cost uh, location they could for manufacturing. And that's an ever decreasing circle uh, as we see. So I, I think that uh, the one of the key factors that we need with automation is to increase efficiencies, increase quality and reduce costs to compete with foreign sources. Uh, you know, the geopolitical, me and Mike uh, have talked about this, the geopolitical situation trying to bring your supply chain uh, home. You look at the cost of uh, shipping now, uh, the increased energy cost taking place, and, and it's, a, it's, it's essential to keep your supply chain close, to keep it as efficient through automation, and to uh, reduce the length of time as well, because with what has happened with COVID, what is happening with the global supply chain now, you know, in business-to-business solutions, you just can't rely on short lead times anymore. Uh, a lot of the offshore companies, their factories closed down due to COVID. Uh, their supply chain, uh, trying to get semiconductor material, uh, has lengthened. So having all of this in Arizona, but also automating as much as possible, uh, I think is essential to any company in Arizona being successful. And and Mike could probably talk about this even more because that's that's one of his key fact, key things we've been talking about. Yeah, we, Mike and I had a pretty robust conversation several weeks ago. It was one of those Me Too conversations as we talked through it. And, and I think 
you know, maybe a little later we can talk about kind of the, you know, the globalization and the pendulum on the, you know, overall supply chain. But when I think about automation right now for us, the two things we're probably, you know, most concerned about in the longer run are, you know, can we continue to find enough talent to do the kind of work we do? And, and as Brett said, some of the some of the automation is just mundane tasks are hard. You know, they're just hard. People don't like to do them. I always want, you know, I don't want to do them. And some of them, they have some safety factors to them. Some of them, there's an inherent quality risk. So I think automation, if we can take out some of the mundane tasks, I'll call them that, and let our teams focus on things where that, that critical skill set can best be utilized, you know, I think that helps a lot. And Mike, you and I were talking, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I think one of the biggest challenges is not necessarily finding the skills, what I would call four-year degree people. I mean, everything's a challenge now trying to find people. But those, Mike, you and I were using kind of the apprentices, you know, the one year, two year. Yeah, the the vocationally uh, educated, you know, uh, two years after high school, and then they can get into apprenticeships. And and that was vital for us. I mean, one of the reasons, again, we chose Prescott, Arizona uh, was having that. We had a community college, Yavapai College here, who has an automation uh, course here for two year students. And that was ideal to pull people into manufacturing. And it's so it's becoming it was becoming very rare. And I'm glad to see everybody now is talking about, hey, you don't necessarily have to have that four year degree, you know, and all that debt associated with it as a student. Um, you can now do two year degrees and, and possibly have a better income uh, there. But also it provides companies like yours, ours, Brett's with that talent pool that we need who can come straight out of, you know, uh, that two-year course and walk onto a manufacturing floor. That, that's what we really need. We don't necessarily need the four-year engineers all the time, even though we do, but we don't need that all the time. It's those, you know, apprenticeships that we need, internships, et cetera. And I think, and Brett, we certainly want your position, but I think there's like two edges to the sword and they're both really positive, right? To your point, Mike, you know, with the technology now out there on automation, and Brett, your best 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 position to talk about this, it doesn't take a four or an eight year degree person to go out and program some of these machines now. Much different than it was ten or twenty years ago. So a one or two year degree, you know, a, I'll call this apprentice level person can do pretty cool things with automation right now. And then the automation pays the benefit. It frees up by doing some mundane tasks. It frees up the organization to do more and more of those next level, you know, next level work items. So I think there's multiple benefits. Brett, I don't know if that makes sense to you or not. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I, I always used to joke with people about some of the automation out now that I would be at trade shows and I would have a high school student come up and want to talk to me. And I would be right in the middle of another conversation. So I couldn't necessarily prioritize that high school student right then. So I would just hand them the teach pendant for the robot that I had sitting there go back to my conversation for a couple of minutes. And when I turned around again to finally get to speak with them, they already had it doing everything that they were wanting to do just by looking at it. Uh, these guys now are, uh, well, the, the kids, guys and girls, are able to do everything. They're so used to iPhones and things like that. They're very quick with technology. And so it doesn't take a four-year program to get them up and running on these. There's very few things they need to add to what they can already do natively to get them up and running in it. And, and to add to the supply chain, uh, having things available local at some level in the United States is absolutely critical. Uh, every supply chain issue I run into in my day-to-day job is related to importing something from overseas. Every single one of them. I have not had a single shutdown uh, based on a, a domestic product. And so yeah. I think more we can do that, 
the better off everyone's going to be. And Arizona has a lot of space to put up more of those facilities. So it's a great place uh, to do that. Hey, Brett, I, I can't uh, uh, agree with you more that, uh, on that. You know, we've gone, because we're a defense company, you know, there's been restrictions on uh, importing anything with a source from China. And even some of the product coming from Taiwan is questionable now because their reliance on China. And with a geopolitical situation, it's created more and more challenges. So one of our key strategic directions right now is get everything from offshore and bring it onshore. And one of the key factors, again, you know, is working with people like Benchmark. You know, that's one of the conversations Mike and I have been having is, hey, what can you guys do for us in Arizona so that we don't have to go overseas anymore? And a lot of ours are computer boards, you know, graphics, uh, you know, cable harnesses and assemblies, et cetera. And all of that we've tried to bring into Arizona. So to reduce the supply chain, but also the cost associated with that supply chain. Like I said, with the energy costs going up, if you're bringing in something from, let's say, Taiwan, uh, not only do you have the increased energy costs, but now you have it sitting on the port of L.A. for possibly four to six weeks because it can't get into uh, port either. So, yeah, I agree 100%. Everything, you know, the more we bring closer to home, the better. Yeah, Mike, I think this, I think we're hearing a lot of conversations. Again, we have a nice breadbasket. You know, we have 170 customers across, you know, pretty diverse set of sectors. But the kind of universal theme that we're hearing a lot more is kind of, you're hearing this land, total landed cost, total mm-hmm. cost of ownership, you know, and I think, I think the pendulum's moving a lot because for a long time, it was all about just in time. And, you know, there's an argument sometimes maybe things got a little too leaned out and yeah. too leaned out manifests itself when there's an interrupt. You know, when something happens to that well-oiled machine and I think every one of us would say a lot's happened over the last year, year and a half. Between Oh, COVID has taught us so much about, hey, this is this is what happens when you t- you offshore everything and you're doing everything just in time. When you're not invested invested in inventory and, and and making sure that you can be flexible with your you know your customers as quickly as possible. And I don't know if that affects you, Brett, at all. Absolutely, yeah. We are we have been massively affected by this uh, because we typically deal in year long contracts at a time, and so uh, there's there was no way to be extended longer than that. You know, there, there was no way to be prepared for something that's going to last a year and a half at this point. Yeah. Agree. So what other challenges? We're talking about challenges right now uh, and the impact that COVID has had. What what other challenges are you facing as an industry now that we're kind of moving toward a post-COVID world? I'll be bold. I'll be bold and suggest supply chain. Yeah. Yeah. That's low hanging fruit, Mike. For sure. Yeah. Nice law. There we go. All right. <laughs> and and talent. Again, a supply chain talent. Uh, you know, I go back to what, you know, we were just talking about before. I, I'm glad there's a recognition, at least I think there's a recognition now in the United States that everybody shouldn't have a four-year degree. And that's not that's not an insult to saying that you're not intellectually capable of having a four-year degree. It's more the basis that we've given up uh, a part of our talent pool that was based upon craftsmen and, uh, and men and women who are capable of create, you know, having everything from electricians to plumbers to carpenters. And now people who can do automation, who don't need a four-year degree, people that, you know, we need more vocational and trade colleges again. Um, and I'm glad to see that starting to crop up more. And I'm, I'm talking to more educators and from Arizona State, Yavapai College is an example, and Embry-Riddle. 
And those partnerships for manufacturers, I think, is critical to our ongoing success and our ability to grow our companies by having a really uh, good pool of not just electrical engineers, computer engineers, hard, you know, uh, mechanical engineers, but also those vocationally trained craftspeople who can do everything from uh, uh, the automation side, uh, a basic uh, mechanical side, that we can have people can do assembly manufacturing and grow that base again in, in, in Arizona and the U.S. You know, we have another show that we do here at the studio. It's called um, We All Serve, and it is uh, part of the Marine Corps Scholarship Foundation. They're the ones who f- bring the guests together uh, so that they can highlight, you know, obviously, these, you know, Marine veterans and what they're doing in the world today. And recently, we had the uh, the founder and owner of Bravada, Bravada Yachts, Freshwater Yachts here in Arizona, and Semper Fi Heating and Cooling. And after we were off air, the conversation around getting good trade in the critical positions they need so that these two companies can continue to do what they do that they're lacking, right? And so this conversation is really important for our youth. I think it's a great opportunity for me to mention, if you're not already familiar with Arizona Technologies Council, SciTech Institute, works specifically around helping uh, educators and students, K-12, typically more so middle school to high school, focus on STEM-related career opportunities and getting these kinds of conversations in front of our students. Like Brett was describing, I, I, that was a beautiful example of how to get a kid involved, right? They, they intuitively know. It's just when I, like we talked about my 14-year-old. He wants to be an engineer. At first, it was the baseball, professional baseball guy. Now he's getting more realistic, right? But how can I, as a parent, how can we as educators continue to put these kids in those situations where they have those hands-on experiences and SciTech Institute alongside of Arizona Tech Council are making sure that we're providing more and more kids these opportunities so that when they're getting ready to graduate, they may not know what they're going to do next. We know that. Some knew, some do, not everybody, but at least they have enough opportunities to explore and to think about it. And we're grateful for companies like yours to continue to provide those moments for them. Well, Karen, if, if and, and Brett will understand this as well. One of the things we do a lot is we do hire a lot of vets. And the reason we, I hire a lot of vets is because we get vocationally trained people who have been through a very what or well-organized training program, schools, hands-on, on-the-job training, and have been certified with you know years of experience sometimes. And getting that is the, the, what we used to have also in our vocational in the civilian world that has now disappeared because we encouraged everybody, hey, you got to have a four-year degree. And then, you know, having a liberal arts degree doesn't take you long, you know, take you very far in your career in getting into something technology based. So I think, you know, and, 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 and Brett, you can speak for this as well, especially if you've been on subs. You know, I was a, a, a communication engineer flying and, you know, it was a two year school that I went to. And then, you know, two years of on the job training and probably in subs. I knew not a lot of uh, boomers, you know, uh, in, in, in my day who had that same sort of qualifications. And, and that's what we really need in manufacturing these days. We really need some real intensive vocational and on-the-job training courses that, uh, that help our industries. Yeah, I agree. The, uh, the military's method of training people up for a, for a more uh, tradesman-style uh, work path is, is, is pretty unmatched right now. It's, it's really well done. We are, as a company, trying to invest in the future there. You know, we did... Pick up some robot lines that are actually appropriate to teach elementary school kids. 
uh, we started an educational program and a, a direct uh, point of sale for, for schools at, uh, at our company. So they, there's robots that can't hurt you. They're very low powered, but they teach you programming from a, from a visual and a graphical interface, but then it slowly walks you through up to the, to the hard stuff, right? The coding, the things that sometimes people are a little scared of. But if you grow up doing that, it's not scary anymore. It's, it's very easy. Um, so even as technology is making it so that the, the hard to do things are more accessible to the average person, they're also creating ways to make the next generation of the difficult programmers, right? The hard, the hard to do stuff. And so those are all things that are doing. Uh, you mentioned the community colleges up north. Uh, I, I know personally, I visited Pima Community College down here, and their mechatronics program is amazing. Uh, so if anybody is looking for skilled people, I would also reach out to them. Uh, they are willing to tailor their course uh, courses to match what industry wants. So they're always happy to to work with everyone to train people up. There's just so many ways to get people into this uh, marketplace to, to help out with the tech industry. Hey guys, this is a great conversation. I want maybe two threads. You know, Mike, you and I were talking. You, know, you were in region in Europe for what over twenty years. Twenty eight years, yeah. I, and I think this space yeah. we're talking about is much different in the U.S. It's a, it's a gap actually, I think, compared to Asia and Europe. So if we can start, yeah. you know, whether it's STEM, whether it's first robotics, all those things, start to build this in. And Mike, I think this starts to close almost a competitive gap. I think. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think we could all sit around a beer and uh, discuss this. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, we'll have the after hours. I think Steve would like that. Part two, right? And I was going to ask Mike specifically, uh, being that you're here in Tempe, are you guys uh, in conversations with University of Advancing Technology? I don't know if the other two are familiar with that university, but what they're doing over there is phenomenal. Yeah. So we're, yeah, we're, so we're in some early stage conversations um, with them. Candidly, you know, we got here four years ago. We we put a lot of energy into ASU, sure. okay, the ASU program, the proximity. You know, we got very engaged. Uh, we do a lot of capstone work with them. Yep. We actually hire we're hiring supply chain graduates, uh, hiring engineering graduates out of there. But more early stage, Karen, to, to answer. Perfect. Yeah, as long as we're aware, we we really are very blessed, I believe, to have the university uh, and the community college systems and the private universities that we have here in Arizona. And again, the fact that everybody's having these conversations wherever they are coming in, uh, people are looking to find that alignment and raise the vibration for all of us. So uh, we love that. This is a good point in time for us to take another quick commercial break because we are very fortunate to have JDH Insights as our 21 Tech Advocate Sponsor. So let's uh, pause for a moment and hear from them. Thank you, JDH Insights, for being our 2021 Tech Advocate Sponsor. A leader in coaching and executive development, JDH Insights is committed to helping organizations cultivate and leverage their most important and complex asset, their humans. Visit JDHinsights.com to enhance leadership and improve team dynamics to take your business to the next level. All right. What are you all keeping your eye on as it relates to state and federal policies? From our perspective, it's uh, really, you know, so we're heavy defense related. Uh, so it's CMM. Sorry, I'll, I'll always get tongue tied with this CMMC compliance, which is cyber uh, security compliance for the Department of Defense. Um, this is a, a constant moving target because anything uh, regulation that's written by the federal government has a tendency of um, uh, have a lot of strategic drift involved in it. So having a you know 
we're a small medium enterprise. Uh, we don't have a huge amount of resources. And to be able to be a DOD supplier, you have to have this compliance. And there's different stages of it. So to get into a stage three, uh, which is uh, the most critical of doing secure classified uh, manufacturing, um, takes quite a bit of what I would say investment internal investment, outside consultancy investment to be able to meet it. So that's a big factor for us is, uh, is that compliance. You know, we look at other things. Uh, I, I think, um, you know, uh, Mike and, and, and maybe Brett, I don't know if Brett, if you guys are over 100 people, uh, you know, company as well. But then you start getting into the COVID. And Mike, I'll let you talk about, you know, you could talk about that because your guys are going to run it. You're probably going to run into that. Yeah, so well, it's funny you led with CMMC because it's on our radar also because a lot mm-hmm. of the people we build for it flows through to us. So I'll just simply say, yeah, us too. You know, watching that one and candidly trying to figure out how big, how fast, and when do we get yeah, how far do we have to go? <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, you know, any quite honestly, anything related to COVID, you know, and I don't want to get into statement position. You know, it's probably not the forum for that. I don't know if I have one at this point, but trying to understand the implications of, you know, COVID and, you know, things like mandatory vaccination, you know, we're watching that really carefully, like anybody, we're all watching that really carefully now, um, you know, because depending on where that goes, you know, that's either way, it's going to have some implications to us. So we're clearly, clearly watching that. You know, and I think the other thing we just in general watch for is, you know, I mentioned it early on, we came here because it's a really business friendly state. Okay. And, you know, everything continues to be really good. We're very happy, very optimistic about everything we've seen. You know, and we just continue to watch as, as the state continues to grow and more people come in, you know, do things start to change there at all. Okay. So be more strain on power, more strain on uh, water, you know, and, you know, and all those things, you know, just we'll watch that over time. Oh, Brett, what do you think? So I can't speak to a lot of the, the overarching policy around things like that too well. I'm, I'm very focused on the automation world, but uh, there are a couple policies that, that do affect uh, us. Uh, one, you know, right now Arizona has a very, very beneficial R&D policy uh, to help companies implement things. And it doesn't have to be automation. It's anything R&D. Like any new automation cell that gets put into a facility likely has R&D behind it uh, to make it work. And so... The state of Arizona is, is really encouraging that kind of development, uh, and, and that's very important. And, I, and the reason I'm watching it is I, I want to make sure it keeps going year after year uh, so that people can take advantage of that. But from a federal level, uh, once again, automation, that's, that's what I do. Uh, but, you know, the, the, the code, ANSI-OSHA code, is not well written right now for human and machine interaction. Uh, it's very much the old way of doing things, which is you keep a wall in between the two things, and everything that we've talked about so far is the marriage of human and machine interaction and how to make everything work a little better through that. And so watching that federal policy development or develop is very important to us so that we can do the things that we're talking about doing uh, without having to worry about uh, violating a policy or something like that. But we still want to be safe. So it's very important to have those policies in, in place. We don't want to hurt anyone. So those are the two major things that I've, I'm focused on. But man, I, I can't imagine having to deal with some of those other concerns like you guys are right now with uh, yeah, all the all the vaccination policies and things like that. That, that must be a huge burden. It chews it, it chews up a fair amount of time drinking coffee and trying to figure yeah. out what to do. That's what it does. Yeah. From, co- <laughs> from coffee to beer. Yeah, the most people the people who make the most money out of this are lawyers. Probably true. <laughs> Probably true. Probably true. Yes. I'm curious, Brett, with and this may not be a question you can answer, and all three of you 
may be able to. But with OSHA and obviously at a federal level, uh, how how can businesses, enterprises, and or folks at the state level help influence that that change and and having it written so that it it is supporting what's really happening and where we need to go and grow? Do do we have influence? Sure. Uh, I would say Arizona is not well represented in that front right now. Uh, basically, the people that are influencing this policy are on the board of uh, you know the ANSI governing documents that are being written. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of those guys are high level at the robotics companies and things like that. They are pushing for these types of advancements because they have products that they want to get out into the marketplace. Uh, I do not know what Arizona necessarily has as far as a specific person on the seat there, but that is where those decisions are being made at the federal level are the boards of the documentation writers. So yeah, anything we can do to help support that is is just going to be helpful to us because it's vital to the onshoring uh, agenda that we all have to be able to do this, to be able to be cost competitive with importing like we've been doing for years. Karen, Karen, one one thing I'd like to add as well is, you know, we're we're a, a UAV company as well, unmanned aerial vehicles, and one of the biggest factors is our uh, the biggest growth portion of that market is in the civil market, and one of the huge the largest challenge we have is FAA certification of aircraft, and getting them to accept beyond line of sight flight. In other words, you're, you know, everybody talks about autonomous vehicles, cars and buses and, you know, uh, transport. Uh, But now we have aircraft and that seems to scare people a lot more when there's aircraft flying around. And and we're trying to do things in relation to firefighting, search and rescue, um, you know, surveying of uh, the grid, the electrical grids, uh, canals, et cetera. And all of that is limited right now by the FAA. Uh, The FAA puts a, a very stringent uh, restrictions on beyond line of sight flight for aircraft. So that's another big factor for us. And that's going to have to be pushed. Uh, and, and we've gone to the congressional level to work with our representatives to help support that. Cinema is an example. Senator Cinema is on one of the subcommittees for aviation. Uh, and, you know, we've been talking to um, her, you know, staff about how they can influence and help us with the FAA and getting that certification passed through. And, and Karen, I'll go even, I'll maybe take a little different thread than the guys did, but, you know, we do a lot of work with um, some real high-end kind of telecom um, customers. So, you know, so customers like Biosat, you know, and what they're doing with, you know, trying to do broadband, you know, high-speed internet kind of everywhere. Um, we do a lot of work with some, I think I'll say, I guess I'll say defense, high-performance computing um, partners with big Arizona footprints, you know, and they're working on really, really unique and advanced technology to kind of make computing communication faster, make it more secure, more reliable. But any of these spaces that the guys have been talking about and the spaces I talked about, they come with a whole lot of regulatory um, framework around them. And any of these things that can kind of get harmonized a little better, I think is going to speed time to success. So that's an area that we're watching that's even different than the guys just mentioned. Excellent. In general, I'd say technology moves faster than legislation can. Most definitely. And hopefully <laughs> we'll be in a position at some point to be able to uh, have uh, quicker impact and uh, longevity with that. And again, it makes me, again, so proud of the work that we're doing with the Arizona Commerce Authority and Arizona Technology Council and all the other stakeholders involved, because that's how that's how mountains get moved. We have two more questions before we hit the top of the hour. It goes fast, doesn't it? 
We, uh, we're going to discuss next the long-term economic benefits of inviting more large manufacturers into Arizona and deepening investments in the manufacturing uh, sector. So where, where do we stand with that? What's the encouragement there? Well, from my perspective, it's it's a self-beneficial circle. In other words, the more large manufacturing we get, the the closer the supply chain is, the better the tax revenues are. That tax revenue just goes right back to further investment. So I, I think what a lot of people miss out on investing in these companies coming to Arizona is the tax benefit is going to support the infrastructure. Mike brought up, you know, what about, you know, water, the electricity grid, all of that. For all of this to grow, and you know, I don't want to concern my necessarily. I concern myself somebody who thinks about the environment a lot. And the one thing you have to think about living in a desert environment is, you know, where are we going to get our resources to sustain the growth, our economy in Arizona, and increased manufacturing investment in this state. And so we have it. It all has to be about that manufacturing that is increasing in Arizona has to go back into further investment in the grid in the infrastructure that allows these companies to continue to grow, to continue feed the, the tax uh, taxes in the state and to keep, again, that cycle going. I, I think that's what's critical to it. Yeah, Mike, I, I think you nailed it. I think my short, my short answer is, I think that the state's got a long history of large manufacturing, which is wonderful. That's a strong base. I think right now, though, we're kind of in this earlier stage of the ecosystem around the, and kind of a transformational period with a lot of the startup kind of companies, you know, whether the electric vehicle guys or, you know, those kind of organizations. But you supplement now a long, long established manufacturing base with maybe more of this early stage startup. And all of a sudden it gets kind of magical. It, it grows, it compounds and it sustains. And I think that's what's really exciting. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, just to piggyback on both of you guys, uh, you know, we've got a lot of great companies here that are investing in renewables. And the only reason, and, and that's how we're going to keep the water supply going, keep the electrical grid uh, up to where it needs to be. But the only way these guys can do what they do is by having a large talent pool in the area. So having the larger companies here supporting the supporting the city, supporting the county, the state, uh, that's what allows those companies to find the talent they need to make these breakthroughs and keep us going. So it's, it's all it's all a big web, and and we need we need that those people coming here to continue that. So obviously, the future looks bright for Arizona's manufacturing sector. What are your predictions for decades to come? You go, Brett. <laughs> I, I could say I think it's looking great. Uh, we, we're seeing people coming here. I, I feel like a daily basis, I, I get a notification from a newspaper or something about a new contract that's been signed for another company to move to. And I think that's a, that's a great sign for the future. I echo Brett, and, and, and I, Mike, I like the way you said it. It's kind of this organism that it's feeding itself, all right? Part of the growth came because there was enough here and some vision to invest, you know, get ready for growth, stimulated the growth. And now if we keep doing this well, the growth will keep ticking off investments to sustain growth. So I think it's, I think it's very bright future ahead. Absolutely. Mike? Karen, I'm the biggest cheerleader you'll ever find for uh, encouraging companies to move to Arizona. You know, I spent a lot of time even with the city of Prescott. They say, hey, we got somebody who's looking at moving to northern Arizona. Do you mind talking to them? And I, I get out my pom-poms and I get out there and I tell them why this is such a phenomenal place to set up manufacturing and set up their business. Because I just see, you know, Arizona is um, a, a great lifestyle location. I always tell people, some of my staff for the first time, they've been able to buy a home. 
because uh, they live in Arizona now and they couldn't do that in California. Yeah. You know, they saw their they saw their paychecks increase just for less tax burden. So I think the future is extremely bright. And I think the more good high tech companies uh, that we bring into the state, uh, close the supply chain in more into the state as well. Uh, get some of these small medium enterprises in here as well as the large intels and the taiwan semiconductors etc in here i think it's great for the state because you need those small businesses as well and i'm glad to see a lot of small businesses either starting up here or moving here absolutely you're reminding me four years ago i opened the uh, studio here in tempe and uh, i was was looking to become a partner with Business Radio X, who had been in the Atlanta area and a couple other little places for about 10 years before I joined. And I reached out on LinkedIn and I said, hey, why are you not in Phoenix and Scottsdale? Like, you know, how does this work? And might it be something for me? And they immediately responded and said, well, why should we be? Like, genuinely curious. And for all the things we've discussed, that even four years ago was why I said, listen, we we, we need to have these conversations. And, And Phoenix and Arizona is up and coming in so many different industries, representing so many different areas of of our economic success here, not only as a country, right, but in Arizona specifically. So this has been a fantastic conversation. I hope you all felt that you were able to contribute and share what you wanted to share. I'd love to go around just one last time and and see if there's anything else that you um, want to make sure we leave our listeners with. And then if you have it handy, uh, where can we stay in touch with you? Perhaps it's LinkedIn and, and most certainly your website as well. Yeah, from my perspective, I you know, again, I'll just go back to saying I'm a, I'm a great cheerleader for the the state. I think from the governor's office all the way to the Arizona Commerce Authority, the Chamber of Commerce, the Arizona Tech Council, everybody has been so phenomenal in encouragement, the networking that you get, you know, the tax incentives, just the the welcoming business environment. I think is second to none. Yes. There's my Mike, I'd echo it. And I think just the open environment, you know, this is kind of those a whole bunch of people all trying to be successful, but doing it in the spirit of partnership, I think is really powerful. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Partnership all the way. Absolutely. It's, it's, there's competition, but also we can raise the vibration with, yeah. with each other as we learn alongside each other and help each other. Brett, lasting thoughts for you. Uh, no, it, it's great. You know, the, I, I'm an ambassador with the Arizona Technology Council, and I think the, the work everyone's doing uh, to keep everyone together and working to, on the same team uh, has been great. It's been wonderful. Excellent. So Brett Dooley, sales engineer at InPositions Technology, Mike Boozman, EVP and chief operating officer at Benchmark, and Mike McCormick, president and CEO of CP North America. I'm grateful to have an opportunity to have gotten to know you today and so appreciative that you've shared your wisdom, your time, and your talent with us here at Business Radio X. You've been listening to AZ TechCast brought to you by Phoenix Business Radio with Business Radio X. Today's AZ TechCast was brought to you by the Arizona Commerce Authority, the state's leading economic development organization with a streamlined mission to grow and strengthen Arizona's economy. Thank Thank you again, Arizona Commerce Authority, and many thanks to JDH Insights, the 2021 Advocate Sponsor. Visit JDHinsights.com to enhance leadership and improve team dynamics to take your business to the next level. And if you're interested in being a podcast participant or sponsor for the Council's AZ TechCast, then contact marketing at aztechcouncil.org to lock in your opportunity to further position you as a tech expert influencer, and innovator. Until next time, I'm Karen Nowicki. Thanks for joining us on AZ TechCast. Thank you for joining us for this episode of AZ TechCast with Arizona Technology Council. 
featuring leading tech and business experts that help influence and shape our great state and the industries they serve.